0: Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. All right, Tim, welcome back. Welcome back to, to the state. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's It's uh, you know, been a long trip uh, being in SoCal and accidentally in Texas, and I'm glad to be back in the Pacific Northwest where everything seems normal and rational.
0: No one wants to accidentally be in Texas. That should be a place no. you go on purpose.
1: Now, there were a bunch of, I was at the airport for two hours in uh, Austin, and there were a bunch of don't mess with Texas t shirts. And I really just wanted to mess with Texas. Like, I, <laughs> I had an overwhelming desire to mess with Texas.
0: I think you got to buy one of those and just cross out don't with a
1: sharpie. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I think that that should be the rule. Um, well, good to good to have you back. Glad that was uh you you've, you survived and made it back yes. in one piece. Um let's let's jump into things. I've I've got an interesting beer this week. So I'm going to kick things off.
1: I'm excited cuz you've been on uh, rocking kind of the same beers for a while, so I'm very excited to
0: Yeah, I did I mean I did that that German beer which is okay. You know, I I, I try to throw in some random stuff every once in a while this time i I went out of my way to do something that uh, seemed interesting. Mainly the can caught my eye. Ooh. it's um it's kind of matrixy. I don't you you can maybe see that. Uh. Um, it's an Elysian altered contact tart IPA huh. and uh, I don't know. I saw Tart IPA. I was like, that's just not a, a genre of IPAs that I've heard of before.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be a sour IPA. Yeah. That's, uh... So
0: I could hate it or it could be really yeah. interesting. I don't know. We're going to find out right now. I'm excited. Well, it does not taste like an IPA. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, it does have a little bit of bite on the back end, a little bit of carbonation that gives it a little something. Like more than a sour wood, maybe. Yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely... But it's not like a hazy. It's interesting.
1: What are the flavors? So, Are you getting uh, like hoppy? Are you getting not hoppy?
0: It's not hoppy. It's definitely more... More... it's not sour, but it it is more kind of fruit fruit forward than I would expect from an IPA.
1: So it's probably f- floating on the hazy side of things then.
0: Yeah. Man, I don't know. So they they describe it as a uh, having notes of orange, tangerine, mango and pineapple.
1: That it screams hazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a tart and juicy demeanor. It's like an extreme hazy. Yeah. But comes at six point eight percent, so it's a strong hazy. Yeah. You know, I it's and it's very light in color. Like much lighter than you'd expect from an IPA generally.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I've, I've started championing the idea that hazies are a different brand of beer from an IPA, a different genre, as it were.
0: I would say this is in that, in that realm, but maybe on the extreme, extreme side. Yeah. But I don't hate it. It's very drinkable. Like it's, it would be a good summer beer. Maybe I'm just more in the mood for it now that it's starting to warm up a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Like I, I think that makes sense, like having that fruity cocktail of haziness. Yeah, it makes sense in the in the summer. We're we're getting there. Like I was just in ninety six degree weather, so uh <laughs> you know, I, I feel that.
0: Yeah. But yeah, color color wise and flavor wise, it's not like other hazies I've had recently, so it's definitely outside the norm of that genre. Would,
1: would you recommend?
0: I would actually, okay. surprisingly.
1: Interesting. Because you usually don't like fruity beers in general.
0: No. And I've been kind of off the, haze, the hazy train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going off <laughs> the rails of the hazy train.
1: <laughs> I was just about to sing that song and thank you for stopping me.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the can caught my eye. The tart IPA was was enough to be interesting, and they tricked me. But <laughs> I, I I think I could I, I would recommend this.
1: Excellent. I'll I'll have to keep an eye out for it.
0: Yeah, I think it would be it'd be interesting for you to try cause since you're not an IPA person and not mm-hmm. even a hazy person. But you do I think you would you would enjoy it. You know, as a kind of a sour adjacent beer. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of a weird genre of its own. Sour yeah. adjacent without being a sour.
1: Uh, beer's getting interesting.
0: It sure is. No, There's no uh, territory that's left untouched. Everything's just going to blur together. <laughs> How about you? What do you have this week?
1: Well, I mean, I think uh, regular listeners of this podcast are going to be super surprised that I have a, a Menace beer. <laughs>
0: Surprise.
1: I know turns out when you work for a brewery you tend to drink a lot of those beers <laughs> uh but we have a, a newish beer it is our nightwatch porter so it's mm. a honey porter that's put out for the uh local ECS uh chapter up here in Bellingham so the Sounders supporters up here their beer cuz uh they're the watchers on the wall is what they call themselves so uh nice yeah so it's a it's a you know it's a uh, honey porter so dark has notes of honey, super clean, super crisp. It's, it's almost perfect for this like last grasp of winter into spring type of, uh, Porter. If you're, if you like dark beers, it is, it's a good beer to have towards the end of a a, a dark period. The honey is, uh, I always say it's a kiss of honey. It's not like overwhelming. It's just, it's there and it's nice. Love this beer. It's a, I have it in my kegerator, which is why I'm drinking it right now. So
0: very nice. Yeah. Convenient. Exactly. All right, well let's let's kick it over to Tim's bit. What do you got this week? Uh,
1: so I I don't I we just got back from watching the uh, US men's national team and they did qualify for the World Cup. Congratulations <laughs> to US men's national team.
0: Through a loss to Costa Through Rica. Through a loss, yeah. As usual.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, I the earlier game this week they unfurled a banner that said "qualified" after not actually qualifying for the World Cup, which
0: don't I, jinx it. What? What, oh. is, what are the American Outlaws thinking?
1: I know it wasn't the American Outlaws. That was the actual U.S. Men's National Team. Oh, and the players held that banner, and that was like the baddest juju I could ever think of to do. Like, granted, the U.S. had to lose six nil to uh, Costa Rica.
0: Okay, I thought it was like nine. Nine, nah, it, it, it was. I thought he was even crazier, but six, yeah, six is six is not impossible, especially it's, to a, a, a boogie team like uh, Costa Rica, which the U.S. Oh. has had horrible record against.
1: And then, like when, when the U.S. went down two nil, like in the fifty-sixth minute, I'm like, oh god. <laughs> but uh, getting back to my question, when you're watching Arsenal, you must have superstitions. What are your, like, superstitions? What are the bad juju you don't try and get when you watch Arsenal?
0: I'm really, okay, I'm really weird about wearing Arsenal gear on the day of a game. Mm-hmm. I almost never do it until after the game. I like why, I like wearing my Arsenal kit on a game day, but only if I, only once I know we've won. And that's not to say, like, I wouldn't wear it if we lost. I will wear yeah. it if we lose, too, but... Um, I do I, I I tend to not like throw my gear on while I'm sitting at home watching a game in the morning <laughs> um because I I feel like I've we've had bad results when I do that <laughs> I don't know why it's it's personal superstition I guess um it's probably a good thing I don't have like a sweatshirt or a robe or something I would reach for on like a morning like mm-hmm. I don't know I'm not gonna go out of my way to throw my kid on usually anyway but uh, yeah, I, I in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just not going to. I'm, I'm gonna just avoid it until after the results are in, and then I will wear my kit for the day.
1: <laughs> I mean, that, that's fair. Like one of my my juju things is that I never wear match the kit. So I have several home kits and I have several away kits, and I never wear a home kit when we're playing home, and I never wear an away kit when we're playing away. Oh. So I flip it and mm-hmm. it's just it's weird cuz like I'm not a very like outside of soccer superstitious person but soccer brings out these weird superstitions in me and that is definitely one that I do. I there there's a couple other there's a, I, I always play I try and play a FIFA game with the team we're playing before we I watch the replay or watch the game.
0: Oh, yeah
1: and try and win that and if I'm not winning I will reset the game and win with Arsenal until I win against the team.
0: <laughs> At least you can have redos.
1: Yeah, exactly. But like if if I played a FIFA game and I can't and I didn't win, I feel like that's bad juju and like I will I'll go back and re uh, play that game until uh, until I beat them.
0: I not Arsenal related but when i was going to sounders games regularly i always felt like and this this sounds like i'm an alcoholic but i always <laughs> i always felt like i had to get to the bar before the game even when it was an early game yeah it was like part of the routine where like my um you know if i didn't if i didn't have that part i just felt off the whole game and yeah. it didn't necessarily mean that the Sounders were going to lose. It just meant I felt off. <laughs> yeah. So if I felt off, I felt like that. Like I would project onto the game a bit more. So like, you know, it, it would uh, feel like they were playing worse if I felt like my routine was thrown. So I always, even even on the the early games, I would try to get down there as early as possible to try to get at least one drink in before making my way to the stadium.
1: Oh, totally. That's a, definitely it. And, like, you know, speaking of alcoholism, another one of mine is that if I'm out and about, like if I'm at a bar watching an Arsenal game, I will always have an Underberg if Arsenal's losing, with the idea that that's going to, like, make them win, which I, again, is silly. And I don't know how that works, but that is another, I guess, bad juju thing I try and do. And I always blame it on myself if I haven't had an a, a Underberg. That it's my fault for not taking that, Undeberg, the why we're losing.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate everybody who takes all these things personally. Like, we, we all individually have game, like <laughs> some sort of control over the, the way these games are going to turn out. It has nothing to do with anybody on the field, it's all of us collectively making sure we're doing our part.
1: I I would love to hear anybody listening. Please send it in either to our Discord or to the other ways you can get get a hold of us of like what your uh, your rituals or what you think is bad juju before a game. Please, yeah. I would love to hear it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I do. You, do you know? Can you think of any of the player ones that you see or have noticed where people have routines going onto the field?
1: I don't know. I know I've read a bunch of them, and I know like all the players have them. Yeah. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. So again, I think that'd be a good, uh, (laughs) if you know one.
0: Yeah. I can't think of any, I feel like that, that, uh, they, they usually show the players coming out onto the field, but I'm trying to think if anybody jumps out at me as having a obvious ritual. Uh,
1: There was a Arsenal player that used to always have their shirt tucked in religiously when they came in. I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it Burkamp?
0: Was it somebody who would like start tucked in and then untuck it when they got out?
1: No, just like I would always just like religiously tuck it in. So start outside and then tuck it in inside. Mm. I see. Yeah. Anyways.
0: I'm going to start paying attention to that a bit more.
1: I mean, what if Tyranny had a uh, bad juju ritual, what do you think Tyranny's bad juju ritual would be?
0: Could you imagine if he had his shirt untucked? I mean, like, he's so, he's so, he's like a part of him to the point where if like, his shirt came untucked during a game, I'd be concerned.
1: I just imagine like uh, he punches someone before he gets on the field. That's like my, <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> just to m- yeah,
1: my feeling of his ritual.
0: Yeah. There there would be some, he used to can let some rage out so he can control himself the rest of the yeah, game. Exactly. Um, yeah, so (laughs) we've reached my favorite part of the the episode where we try to figure out how to fill the time during an international break.
1: (laughs) There's actually one or two things on the international break that were interesting, but yes, I understand.
0: It's the last one, so there's that. And actually, this, of all the international breaks... This may be my favorite, just because there's actually things on the line. Yeah. Like uh, uh, leading up to this, I could care less. But when you actually get to the qualifying where it matters, then I I, I care a bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean it was nice. There 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 are some fun things like seeing North Macedonia take out Italy, which is oh, <laughs> crazy, <laughs> insane. Uh, I had my heart broken yesterday when Sweden lost to Poland. Like I, yeah.
0: I, we don't have to talk about it long, but it, it should be mentioned. Uh, and I'm sad for you.
1: It was horrible. It was I I, I actually do feel Sweden actually ran most of that game. I think the uh the passes was something like three hundred and thirty-three to hundred and twenty. It was just a shitty penalty. It was deserved penalty. And uh something that I is a tautology, which is if you can't score a goal, you shouldn't be able to win a game. And Sweden didn't score a goal away. And it is what it is. And is it too late to start boycotting the World Cup? Like, am I a hypocrite now?
0: No. I mean, I think everybody's going to come to their senses before this thing starts.
1: (laughs) I kid. But, uh, yeah, no, it's devastating. Uh, Poland deserves it. I'm not going to Shade Sweden should have won it though, but
0: yeah, bummer,
1: yeah, it is what it is.
0: Um, yeah, we've got uh, well, I was trying to think of what the, the actual Arsenal related news would be. Um, top, top of that, I think, is the uh, soccer COVID thing that came up kind of right at the beginning of the international break, like after we recorded last week. Um, I think he was, there was thought he was just sick and then he tested positive and it's, if it's going to happen, now's the time, because I think he will be a part of the team. I don't think there's a real concern that he's not going to be in the England squad ultimately, but, um, maybe disappointing for him, but good for us. Cause if you're going to have COVID, Get it done at the beginning of the international break and hope that he has has a uh, negative test before Monday's Crystal Palace game.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I know we have several fans who are English national team fans, and I'm not going to begrudge them that for, for for that. But I'm definitely Arsenal before English national team. So if it gives him a a, a little bit of a break and he can uh, still play for the Crystal Palace game. I'm, I'm all about that. I'm fine. And as you said, he's, he's definitely on the squad for the, uh, world cup. So it's not going to affect him negatively in his future career.
0: Yeah. They were playing friendlies, so it wasn't uh, a huge deal. And, uh, I think ultimately, like you said, it gives him a break. And I think my concern would be, you know, Emil Smith Rowe had a little bit of a, after effects which is pretty common to feel some additional fatigue and, and kind of slowly work your way back up to fitness so i if he had a light case and he's able to bounce back quickly great if not i could see him maybe playing a bit role in the crystal palace game because that is a pretty quick turnaround if he had any sort of symptoms so hopefully we see him back but if not The additional break is probably not the worst thing in the world for him. If you're going to miss a game, miss it now before we get to some of the tougher stuff in three weeks or so.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, all these teams are going to be having, I haven't paid attention to uh, Crystal Palace's, uh, you know, statuses for their players, but I know like they have several international players. So yeah, I think we're all going through this. So
0: it's still out there, not, not over it yet. Yeah. Um Yeah, and uh another Arsenal player news during the break here, uh party Gosh. lighten things up for for the Ghana team.
1: He was a player of the match, and I we I was talking to a couple people while we were watching the uh, the game live. I was able to watch that game live, and uh, uh, it was a joy to watch. And party had an early goal for Ghana that made the difference in the game, and he bossed that midfield. And that goal that he scored was an outside the box shot. And I mean, granted, the keeper did not cover himself in glory, but uh, I think. Seeing party play for Ghana it makes you think that there's a, a lot more that he has to offer, even more that he has to offer for the Arsenal team. So I, I was very excited to see his uh, performance against uh, Nigeria.
0: Yeah, I think he that was one of the few shots I've seen him take from that area that didn't sky over the bar. You know, like he, mm-hmm. he's had some close ones definitely more recently, but this one he had the benefit of kind of skipping it off the turf. Which is, I think, why the keeper ended up missing it. You get that nice little bounce in the six-yard box, and that that really throws the keeper off. Typically, so if he could figure out how to keep it down and, and get those uh, turf skippers going, that's uh, I think that's that's a sweet spot for him.
1: But more than his goal, too. If you watched the uh, the 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 full game, he was just just bossing that midfield, just controlling it, doing that thing. I think. Uh, when we were looking at signing him that we were hopeful that like, he was just pa- passing the ball, making those passes, just being that metronome and also being able to like, uh, be defensive and take the ball away. Like it was just, it was a great performance overall. And as I said, he got a man of the match from multiple sources for that game. So that's a, a very promising, 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 uh, game for him.
0: Well we've seen it we've seen him really step into his own this latter you know, this um I would say the chunk chunk of game since Christmas, he's been really solid. Not that he's been bad, but I mean <clears throat> I think he's been even better than we've seen him play for Arsenal uh in the last run of games. And uh I I, I when you're talking about controlling the midfield or really anchoring the midfield i think he 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 suddenly feels solid enough to do that to really put the team on his back in a way at least defensively and and even kind of control like you said controlling the tempo um in a way that i didn't really i wasn't really sure if he was capable of i think we had all hoped that he would be able to do that but now he's really showing us that he can he can do that and and i think he's at a level now where I have less worries about who he's paired with. I mean, I think that's exemplified by the fact that Shaka has been allowed to play forward a little bit more. And there's been more responsibility on uh party to control, control things, whether that is uh, through his passing or through his defensive uh, capabilities. I just feel like he's, showing us everything that he has to offer. And it is just that little bit of uh scoring threat that we haven't quite seen yet, but not that he, he's, um, incapable of it. He's just hasn't quite dialed it in yet. And I think that is maybe the final piece, but I, I don't even expect that from him really. I think he, he does so much just, um, shuttling that ball from, from back to front and, and making, making teams look silly cuz like he his his ability to turn in tight spaces and find um find that lane to dribble into it's it's beautiful to watch and i think if you can find a really good pairing for him um he could really bring out the best in somebody that's playing alongside him and i that's it makes you think like if you can just upgrade a little bit on Jaka that that midfield was really going to be an important important piece to Arsenal going forward.
1: I mean, it, it is one of those things where you look at La Conga, and if La Conga, like actually um, uh, delivers on the promise that we all hope for him, that's that exact midfield parody. But as you said, like you know, it, we're just one piece away in that midfield from being an elite midfield. I think uh, party for the next couple of years especially when you look at how he's been playing for Ghana or at least in this game playing for Ghana could be such an anchor piece to that, that midfield.
0: Yeah. And I think it was a couple of weeks ago. So there was something going around saying that like the Arsenal, uh, coaching staff kind of saw, uh, Lakonga more as a replacement or a like for like sort of sub for what party brings, and so he's not necessarily the future shaka replacement but more of a depth piece or a, a future replacement for party and uh so that that really makes me think they're going to they're going to have to go out and get uh a a complementary piece to what party can do you know maybe somebody who does fill that role that shaka's playing right now and, and pushing forward to play in behind um on that left side.
1: So like, what are the, uh, what would you say would be a complimentary midfielder? What are the skills that you would need as a complimentary midfielder to party?
0: Well, I think what we've seen that party can do is really not, uh, allow somebody else that plays next to him to push forward a bit. So I think if you can bring in somebody that capitalizes on that, uh, Um, freedom that he allows, I think you can find somebody who creates that um, passing triangle really well with uh, Tierney and and Martinelli or Smith Rowe or whoever it may be playing on that left-hand side and uh, kind of unlock things there a little bit more, feeding those players, playing off of them, but also moving in centrally to link up with Odegaard or whoever's playing on that right-hand side. Uh, You know, that there's there's that that space there that is 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 available to to take up and so i think if you could find somebody who's um technically sound who can control the ball well and play in tight spaces because i think that's where you find party a lot is he's he's playing out of tight tight areas and needs an outlet pass to and and somebody who could take take the ball and and charge up field and make something out of that. I don't expect party to be um as lethal with his passing as maybe Odegaard is, but somebody who can compliment Odegaard can compliment Smithrow and um Tierney as well and really unlock that left side and balance things out. Well time, technically and, and also on the offensive side because I think we need goals from every area of the field really.
1: I'm just going to say that uh and you've mentioned his name that maybe we have that complimentary player already on the uh on the team and that's Odegaard. What would you say for an Odegaard party pairing? Do you think that's crazy talk? Um
0: it's not the worst idea in the world in a pinch, but I don't know if that's how where I would see him uh, he just he does he works so well with Sokka, and they they have such good chemistry. Um,
1: does that take it away? by I, putting him in that position though, because like when I when I ask you that, I was kind of sneakily going to ask you that follow up because I I think those qualities that you wanted for a player that complements party is exactly Odegaard's cl- skill set.
0: Yeah, I just want more of Odegaard like i I want I want that plus a little bit more of a goal scoring threat or you know to more to balance out the field so that because Odegaard does tend to pull out to that right side I think we it, the reason Jacques has been pushing out to the left is to create that balance
1: because i I mean like we've we've talked a lot about like how do you get Odegaard and Smith Rowe onto the field and I really feel like if you kind of drop Odegaard back to the like second, Center midfield position and have Smith Rowe like kind of drop into the position that Odegaard's kind of been playing. I think that could be a solution to the 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 midfield conundrum in a lot of ways.
0: It could be. I I'm very curious about where Arsenal is going to go in this offseason. season. We've I, it, this is something that kind of came up in the last couple of days. Is um, where do where are they looking as far as future reinforcements? Um, and it's interesting that they've, like the rumors in this last week were, um, looking at, uh, Arsenal, or Arsenal had been showing interest in Rafinha from Leeds, um, and Gakpo, I think that's how you say it. Say Gakpo (laughs) from, uh, um, uh, is it PSV? I think he is at. Um, but those are both wingers, and so I'm I'm curious to try to wrap my head around what they're what they're looking to do, um, because those are not out outright uh, strikers. But I, I kind of feel like we have wingers, right? I, we have we have Saka, we have uh, Martinelli, we have um, Emil Smith Rowe to a degree. I I don't know if I consider him as a winger as much, but he plays out on that side. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, unless somebody's getting converted to be a striker, I feel like that is a, it's an, a depth need, but maybe not an area I would emphasize. It's just, uh, you know, it it, it is a piece, but maybe not the, the main thing I would think they'd be focusing on right now. Yeah.
1: I mean, the other, the other rumor is Rashford as well. And, uh, Mm. But, uh, I mean, I, I as I said, like, I, I could see that as, like, if they're looking at uh, uh, Odegaard to be playing deeper and then you have Smith Rowe kind of being that uh, middle part of that trident, I could see that they want a little bit of death, And, I mean, like, I, I do love Martinelli and I think that he has a lot of future with the club, but he, he hasn't exactly proven himself yet. It's not like Saka... Or Smith Rowe, who have concrete goals, concrete uh, space on the team. So, like, I could see wanting to have someone to push Martinelli, or even like maybe uh, compete with Martinelli. You know, Mm -hmm. and so I can definitely see that. But I mean, I, I think the hard part is that everyone, as far as you going back to the striker, like everyone knows we need a striker, and I don't know. If you want to advertise or like uh, uh, necessarily go after a striker, if it's going to be a horrible price for us, so I think that yeah. might be a little bit of a, a, a shielding technique, I guess.
0: Yeah, and it's not to say that any any one of those players couldn't be converted to a um, to play more centrally, or you know, you 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 bolster your left side and allow Martinelli to play up front a little bit more. But you know he's had the, he's, he's been around, and we've had <laughs> the need for uh, an all-out striker for a while. Um, and we haven't really seen Martinelli play that position. So I, I don't know that that's a, a long-term goal for the team or if, if he's fitting in too well on the left. Or I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. I think Arteta has talked about him playing that, that striker position, but never really used him that way. So I'm not sure what his feelings are in reality. But we'll see. We'll see how things shake out. Like you said, mm-hmm. it could be just a, a smokescreen at this point. We don't really know. It's it's pretty early. But if if things were, if the marketplace wasn't as friendly as they were hoping as far as cost or availability of players, maybe they would start getting a little more creative. So that could be that they're just exploring all the options of, of attackers and, and seeing who might slot in
1: and you know my personal opinion about uh, transfers and transfer rumors which is I don't really think they're serious until they are holding a scarf over their head that says Arsenal so we'll see we got a long
0: ways to go we have to to make Champions League first before we can start really getting serious
1: speaking of bad juju we can't we
0: can't we can't decide on anything until we decide where we are going to land at the end of the season
1: Exactly. It's a, it's a little far out to uh start doing transfer rumors and doing for uh next season when we still have about what is it a third of the season left? Uh less
0: than, but yeah, about 10, 10 games left.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's uh it it is a a interesting part of the season, um but we'll get to that in in just a minute. I don't oh, I do want to talk about who is going to the World Cup now that everything is settled or pretty much settled. Pretty
1: much. I think there's one game in Europe that still has to be settled, which is the Ukraine Scotland game, but
0: mhm so we won't know about Tierney for a bit. Yeah. But Germany, Denmark, Belgium, France, Croatia, Spain, Serbia, England, Switzerland, Netherlands, Poland, and Portugal are all in from Europe. So Leno, um, Likonga, uh Saliba.
1: Are, there, are Saliba and Laconga on those squads?
0: Lakonga definitely is in Belgium. Saliba was in this France team. I don't know if he's He's kind of I think he's a player on the bubble cuz he filled in for uh I think Pavard was mm. was injured so he got called in. Um so Saliba could be a, a last minute uh addition. We'll see. I mean he he's on, he's on the bubble of Arsenal as it is. So Yeah, that, <laughs> I don't even know. Um and let's see who else are we, who else is representing these teams here. Obviously, our England crew, um, Switzerland. Uh, so, Jaka, uh, Jaka, and Poland and Portugal. I don't think. Oh, uh, Cedric oh. would would be. Is he, he? was on the national team, yeah.
1: I don't. I, I don't know the current squad. If he's actually been don't called know. up,
0: um. But yeah, good good chunk of uh chunk of the squad will be represented in that group. Um and then looking at South America, we got Brazil, so that'll be presumably I, I, I actually don't know if, if Martinelli is a nailed on player or if he's just got invited in this window. Um but I know him and Gabriel were both called up in this window, but Gabriel had to had to go and have a baby, so you know. <laughs>
1: Imagine that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so those two guys would be represented there um, Argentina, Ecuador, and Uruguay. And let's see, we got Canada, Mexico, United States. So a cup, you know, our uh, future goalkeeper. <laughs> Matt is, Turner
1: is he actually going to be in that squad? Do you think? Or?
0: I don't know. He's been injured, so it's hard to say. It, you know, if he'll yeah. bounce back and be in contention.
1: Well, I mean, um, they
0: have a lot of keepers in in the U.S. squad, so it's hard to say whether he would be a backup or even make the cut.
1: Well, I mean, the way Zach Steffen played today, I could see uh, the U.S. kind of looking for. Uh, other options cuz hey, Zach Steffen was kind of crazy on the uh, se- the yeah the second goal today.
0: Mm. I think also if you're I think Matt Turner would be considered a specialist at this point because he's a really good uh penalty stopper mm. as far as the the pool of players that the US has to choose from. He he would be somebody you'd bring in probably to deal with shootouts and that sort of thing. So I think he has a good good case to be made for that alone. Um, beyond that, we got Africa. Uh, so Ghana, Senegal, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, and Cameroon. Way to go, Nuhu! Yeah,
1: uh, shout out to <laughs> uh, Nuhu!
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, Ghana getting part, party, having the party. Um, yeah, so some big teams not qualifying from Africa, like uh, El Neni's Egypt not showing up there. Um, and then in in the Asia group, uh, Qatar obviously in there as the hosts, uh, Iran, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, and Japan on there. So Tamiasu making making the cut, even though he was injured, he will will make it to the World Cup. So good for him. And then uh, Australia and United Arab Emirates still possibly could qualify there. And then uh, New Zealand and Costa Rica have a playoff match to see if they will make which which of those two teams will make it. So interesting to see how that shakes out.
1: As a neutral, I think that game is going to be amazing to watch the Costa Rica New Zealand game. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I was actually uh, as I was watching the US game, I was talking to my buddy is how beneficial it's very nice as a pride thing to have a lot of internationals playing in the world cup. But the fact that it, that it's going to be in the middle of the season there, you know, this, the uh, season's going to take a little break while we play these uh, world cup games. How is that going to affect arsenal? And is it actually a benefit that some of our players didn't make, make the world cup or would you rather them play in the World Cup, have that prestige, maybe have that like little bit of form and come back with with something?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I and, and I I th- I think it's it is that double edged sword because you're always concerned about injuries and uh especially this season having it sit in or next next season I should say, having it uh, slot in the winter, you're you're are looking at a lot of disruption. You're looking at fatigue being a factor more than ever. Uh, it's it is going to be bizarre to have a winter World Cup. I will say uh, every team is going to have to deal with a new level of of congestion that they've never had to deal with before. So I don't know how it's all going to go down, but. Um, everybody's kind of in the same boat especially the top teams where these a lot of these players are being funneled from so it's it's gonna affect all the best teams it's not it's not just one team where all these all these players play and uh it we'll, we'll have to wait and see I don't know if there's a uh it, there's as many positives as negatives probably
1: yeah I mean I just also interested is like uh, part of the conversation, which is m- more of a broader scope than our general podcast is how the, uh, the teams that are playing in like MLS and in the North America system will compare to how the European system, because usually it's the exact opposite where it's usually the, uh, the teams that play in North America are in mid season and the teams that are playing in Europe just finished their season. And it's going to be vice versa. So like these players from Europe are going to be in mid season form Whereas the uh, North American players are going to be in a uh, end of season form and how that affects how these teams play.
0: Yeah, definitely true. I And also it, it, it will be interesting to see how this world cup affects the transfer window. Um, hmm. Because typically you have your world cup and that's like a showcase for players to get picked up in the, um, in the summer window, and you'll have you'll have the World Cup in December, and then have the January window. So I wonder if that will change the dynamic, and more more players will move in the January window window than normal.
1: Yeah, I mean it's usually like the the thing of the January window is not a good window to to buy players, but this one might be a a showcase for it. Although I think a, you know the World Cup as a showcase for players is a little bit changing because we now know have the ability to scout these players, you know, before, whereas like, you know, in the seventies and even the eighties, it was like, this was the only, the world cup was the only time you'd get to see these players. Mm. So now, now you there, I don't think there's a lot of off the radar players that play in these world cups.
0: Not necessarily off the radar, but players who step up and, you know, do do have a good World Cup tend to increase their value just because of all the eyes on them. You know, I think you can become a household name, whereas you might have just been a, uh, a scouted player. You know, you might be on some team's radars, but as far as being... Uh, uh, a name that that people recognize that can that can really change things for players, but
1: hey, it can change them for players. But I hope that's not how Arsenal scouts players, because like basing, no, a, 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 you're scouting on a, a summer tournament where like there's what a maximum of uh, nine games, ten games. I forget what it is exactly. Like it's not a uh, ideal way to scout players.
0: I think if anything, Arsenal's getting to the point where they're getting these players before they're getting their call-ups. I mean, you're looking at Ben White and Ramsdale, and you know, like kind of, kind of getting in ahead of that is is where Arsenal needs to be and and getting players and developing them so they do get those call-ups. That would be the ideal scenario. And I think
1: most uh, most major teams are out that way, which is like again why, like as far as the World Cup as a uh, recruiting thing. Is a uh, a difficult thing. I think there there still may be some things like you know, like some of the African players, and especially like you know, new who if he has a good World Cup, he might get a more European teams radio radar and things like that. But I think most of the players that play in the the uh, World Cup at this point are known quantities. Yeah, I
0: would think so. All right. Well, I think that's all I've got on the international break. We can put that behind us. Thank God. Um, And, and move on to the more important things, which is uh, <laughs> Arsenal and the rest of this season. We've got a game coming up uh, on Monday of all days, which is weird. Um, But, you know, the, it, it is against, a, I would say it's a pretty quality opponent at this point you know it's crystal palace is having one of the better better seasons than they've had maybe ever i don't know know that they've finished in the top half of the uh top half of the table in in quite a while so you know that if they can if they can push their way up into that top 10 they'd be doing pretty well for themselves and they've been pretty pretty decent under Vieira, in my opinion. But they've, they've still got a ways to go. But I, I, I would not consider them pushovers by any means.
1: No, I mean, I think Vieira has been showing his quality as a coach. And, you know, if he followed the MLS, he uh, coached uh, – it was a city, New York City, pretty well. And uh, – yeah, it's, it's, you know, not going to be an easy game. None of these games are going to be easy games that are coming up, but I would expect us to have a decent result against them. I think, you know, you have Zaha, who has a history with us. We tried to sign him, and he uh, did not come to us. You have some other players that could uh, do some damage. but
0: I think Zaha's injured. Oh, is he injured? I, I think he's going to be out for this game. Oh. He has, like, a grade two hamstring injury or something that popped up prior to the
1: international break. <laughs> I don't even know what a great dude hamstring injury even means, but
0: ba- bad enough that he's not going to make it back. For
1: Monday. <laughs> but still like, uh, it is, a, it, it is a game that I feel that we should be winning. It's a game we should be winning. It can be difficult, but you know, compared to some of the other games coming up, if, we have actual aspirations of being in fourth place at the end of the season as a game we need to win.
0: Yeah. I think you have to look at every, every one of these games as, and I think Arsenal have been doing this, but you know, as, as a, uh, a major, uh, I don't know if it's a, a cup final necessarily every week, but you know, you have to take every one of these games seriously and get, every point that is available to you uh because it does get it does get much harder uh soon so <laughs> if you're looking at uh the schedule here this uh this next run of games with Crystal Palace, Brighton and Southampton are very um winnable games i wouldn't say they're uh they're all wins you never know but uh Winnable, I would say, is is the the nice way to put it, because after that, it goes Chelsea, Man United, West Ham, and that that looks a little bit rougher. So, especially considering that the Chelsea, Man United games are three days apart, so it, the the points that we have to get are right in front of us here. I think that you have to try to get six six or nine points out of the next three games here.
1: Exactly. Like, those are uh, more challenging games, the coming ones coming up. And not to say that, like, Crystal Palace isn't challenging, but it's just, like, a game that you need to get points out of because we're not guaranteed points out of the, the next few games.
0: Yeah. And and looking at it, if we're going to look at the games in threes, uh, well, we there is the odd... Uh, Tottenham game which has to slot in somewhere uh, I imagine it's going to be either between that Leeds and Newcastle game at the end of the season or maybe they try to squeeze it in before the last week so between Newcastle and Everton but uh, yeah I mean very the the end of the season is going to be uh, similar I guess in quality to the next three games but there's that wild card of Tottenham which it, it, it's going to have a lot riding on it,
1: and and you know just to r- remind this because I've been reminded of it recently, which is we lost to Everton, so like that's not a gimme either. Like, like
0: no, I don't know what their status will be at the end of the season. Everton could be playing for their their lives. Um, it's a, same with the Leeds; they're both kind of on the bubble, and so those those last couple games or not. I shouldn't say the last couple games, but uh it looks like yeah Leeds is the third to last game depending on when the Tottenham game gets slotted in there but you know those those teams are are right in the thick of things when it comes to the relegation battle um i we and we don't know where Newcastle's going to be in that mix as well they're currently in 14th so they could if they start dropping points they could fall down that table and, and be fighting pretty hard to stay up themselves. So um, you you can't you can never count out a cornered animal, right? They are going to fight, and they're going to do whatever they have to do, and it's going to be scrappy <laughs> towards the end of the season here. Yeah, but I, I as far as Crystal Palace goes, I think that's a a winnable game, uh, and especially when you don't have the likes of Zaha, although I don't think they're quite as reliant on him as they were. They have had some players step up and, um, you know, I, I think Vieira is getting, getting some good, uh, performances out of his, his young, younger players that have come in to kind of supplant what Zaha was doing exclusively for quite a
1: while. Well, I mean, and I think, uh, not to stir the cauldron too much, but if, uh, were ever looking for a replacement uh for arteta i think you can look for uh to Vieira as a, a coach that could be another replacement because what he's been doing at uh palace has been pretty amazing and you know as i said i don't want to stir the pot too much but he is exactly that uh that coach that could actually fit in with us very well so it's you know it'll be interesting to see
0: yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good game, uh, and I I have a ton of respect for what what Pierre has done in a short amount of time with this team. So we'll have to see if he if he's able to get them up for this this matchup because they they're going to have to get some wins uh, if they're going to make a charge up the table. I think them getting into that top half is going to be a, a good accomplishment and a a, a sign of their progress and so i think they're going to they're going to try to make a statement with arsenal for sure. Um, anything else you want to say about that game or any of the games coming up? Nope. All right. We should take a quick break. We've got a question and then we'll wrap things up. So, uh stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back from the break. We just got one question for you this week, and um, it's from a new listener. Uh, Dunkaroo's been around for a few weeks and been giving us some good questions, but had one for us since he's kind of new to the podcast. He asks, what made you guys fans of Arsenal? I know that's something we talked about early on. But that was over a hundred episodes ago, so it's <laughs> it's been a while. So maybe it maybe it's a good time to revisit because I think it's it's uh it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about in the context of where the team is right now as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's fun. We we it was our first episode when we talked about it, and <laughs> it seems like a million years ago. And even though it was only, I mean, I guess it was two years ago, three years ago. Time is squishy.
0: Uh, yeah, it's been a couple years. Um, We've had uh, yeah, three
1: managers since then. So,
0: yes, that is true. I was like three. Oh yeah, we had to t- we had Umberg in yeah. there for a minute.
1: My favorite Swede. Uh, but uh, yeah, do you want me to go first? Or do you want to go first on this one?
0: Uh, why don't you take it away? That sounds.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you know, I started following. Or- I started following soccer before i started following arsenal which is i was lucky enough to go to the 94 world cup in the united states and was following national team soccer and then my uh, brother moved to england and he had, for college and he had a uh, roommate that he absolutely hated was the most annoying person in the entire world to him and he was a tottenham fan so my brother chose to follow arsenal just to piss off this roommate of his that he despised. And, you know, me being the, uh, younger brother, I started following Arsenal and this was, uh, the first year I really remember following him was the year before the unbeaten season. And it was very difficult to actually watch Arsenal during that time. I don't know if there's many listeners that were listening during that time at, or watching during that time. And then, uh, then you had the undefeated season, which is an amazing way to start loving a team. And so, yeah, and I've been following them ever since, uh, you know, figuring out ways to watch them. I remember looking at newspapers for our younger listeners. Those are news that, that is printed on paper and, <laughs> and seeing a very small column with the the results every week. And that was the only way because it was pre internet and yeah. So and then I followed him. My favorite player of all time is, uh, uh And yeah, that's, uh, how I started following him. How about you?
0: Um, mine was a little bit later. Uh, I, I had a college roommate who was very into soccer and, um, kind of introduced me to it a little bit. Via playing FIFA, and then um, that was real. It was uh, 2005, and so that was about the time you could start seeing more on TV if you had like the Fox Soccer Channel back in the day, and so it was it was starting to become more available on cable, um, but not to the degree it is now. I mean, it was. <laughs> Maybe one or two games a week if you were lucky, and uh, so I, I it it was of course all about the Premier League, especially when we were playing um, playing FIFA and stuff. And uh, I I I just got attracted to the way Arsenal played, especially watching Henri. Mm. That was really the the player that sold me on Arsenal. I just couldn't couldn't take my eyes off him. He was such a, a machine when it came to scoring and his his relentlessness and the way the team just flowed back then was just such a different thing compared to the rest of the way or the rest of the way the rest of the teams played in the Premier League then um, they just stood out and I they had this reputation obviously from coming off of the Invincibles uh, run and so it, to me it was interesting to. Um, follow a team that was definitely in in the mix, but you know they were battling with Man United and 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 uh, kind of not not necessarily the knock on favorites after the Invincible season. Like they were they were still in the mix, but I I felt like they were um, just. I I didn't want to pick the best team. I wanted to pick the team that was the most fun to watch, and so that was that was more what drew me to them over anybody else that was uh, in the Premier League at that time. I mean,
1: you you do forget, like, uh, with the way that soccer has homogenized over the last you know like decade, but that Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, who we could have a whole podcast about someday, uh, revolutionized soccer. In the Premier League, he he brought in a whole new way in the the way that people speak about Bielsa is the way that people spoke about Wenger back in the day that, uh, you know, he made it professional. He, you know, famously stopped the players from eating sweets on the bus and different things. And it really was he did bring a continental style to England that everyone else has kind of emulated in a lot of ways. And he, he was a revolutionary and like to be, to follow Arsenal, I think we're getting back to it actually under Arteta, but for, for a while, I think Arsenal's lost its, or had lost its way as far as, you know, following this beautiful soccer style. And when both you and I first started watching it, it was definitely that, uh, style over substance, beautiful passing, the Young Guns, all this stuff, Fabergosh, some of these players that uh, may not have uh, winning medals but have a place in everybody's heart that love soccer.
0: Yeah, I mean, just, I, I just think of, like, the, I feel like I, I got in um, just before it got bad. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do feel like there it, it was, uh, it was the their highest heights that really sold me on on what Arsenal could be, and and we saw you know it wasn't like they fell off drastically after the invincible season they were still really fun to watch still had a great group of players, but the tail end of of Highbury, um, I would say it, you know it, you can mark mark the era the end of an era there, and once once things transitioned to the the emirates and the banter era, as everybody likes to call it um it got it got a bit uh challenging you know the games that the few games that you could see they were not all all so great once the team started uh you know there were there were some there were some rough rough seasons there was definitely some players that i look back on i'm like how how is that an arsenal player how is that even an arsenal team but we we take for granted that this team was was making the champions league every season um and you know they were they were fighting for that that top top spot you know i they weren't necessarily gonna um win the league every year but they were in the mix and uh you know, I I do I do look back on those years fondly because they were the Wenger years and um through all the ups and downs they still played in a very specific beautiful way and it's it, it got rougher you know <laughs> I mean we've seen it after he left or even towards the end of, of Wenger's years uh coaching the team. It uh, it got it got a little it got a little rough and I think the the negativity was was hard to to stomach and yeah. you know now that we're we're able to be positive about the team again it reminds me of how it used to be and that's I, you know I I'm, I'm glad to feel like I felt originally about this team because that meant you know it, it sold me on the game I was this, I was an Arsenal fan well before I was a Sounders fan I was uh, you know I. It, they, they're they're my first first love so I, I always hold them in, in high regard well I mean
1: like I'm I'm and I'm gonna get it on a, a little bit of a tangent and please forgive me for this it's an international break so I feel like I can go off on a little bit of a oh. a, a, a side side talk but uh really w- w- the downfall of Arsenal is when you see teams like Chelsea which is in the news now, and should be in the news now, uh, now because of what happened. And Wenger called it out at the time, which is that this is economic doping. These are, This is a change in how football clubs are run. Wenger ran Arsenal to be a team that was self-sustainable, that didn't need a millionaire, billionaire owner to run it. You would make, good signings. You'd sell good signing. You didn't need to have an outside injection of cash. And, you know, it's why it actually rubs me the wrong way. Like when we get down to it about talking about transfers too much is like, really, we shouldn't be talking about like having a sugar daddy throwing money in, but it was Chelsea specifically. And then later, you know, Man City, now Newcastle, these teams, they get these owners that are of questionable money. And in like, you know, we can look at our own money with Kroenke, which I'm not exactly excited about. And Arsenal, like I remember I got a birthday card, which is like, there's a way to win a game and there's a right way to win a game, which is no Wenger quote. And it's, it should be about the, the, the team on the field, the the club the development of a team as opposed to having a rich owner that can just buy all the pretty toys they want and you know with all that's going on right now in the world it's not a surprise that abramovich is being stripped of his football club and he probably shouldn't have been able to buy the football club to begin with and i i hope i'm not controversial or whatever if but and Man City and their owners shouldn't have been able to buy Man City and their 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 club, and the same with Newcastle. And at least you should be able to to own it in the right way, and that's why I loved Arsenal, and I I, I it changed, it. and it's why like, I don't really mind that Arsenal is not necessarily in the conversation anymore, is because at least we didn't sell our soul to the devil because there's a lot of teams that did and you're seeing it play out right now. And it's, it's to me fairly disgusting.
0: Yeah. It's just hard to draw. I, I, I have a hard time throwing stones from our glass house because you know, it's, Viewed from another angle, we just have the same things, but they're American. I mean, you, you hear the words oligarch thrown around, but there's a lot oh. of billionaires in this country who would fall under that same label, oh. on, you know, under a different different name. So you know? I,
1: I studied uh, Russian history in uh, college. And again, this is not going to be a, a, I don't want to go down a very deep political, but you can very much draw a hard line between Abramovich's money and Kroenke's money and it's not a great line to draw and again this is the worst thing but this is also a shift this also happened while I watched Arsenal which is the Kroenke money came in but you know I I, I do prefer the Kroenke money to the Uzmanov uh, money who is now on the uh, the list as well and I, I mean I could go very long and hard about modern football and how we should just all watch our own local teams and Screw everything else, but but uh, yeah. but it, uh, there, there does have to be a line that has to be drawn, and I think the money that came in from Chelsea really paved the way for sports washing in the Premier League
0: mm-hmm.
1: straight up. And how that happened, and how that happened to the Russian people, and this line that's happening in Ukraine is a direct line that you can draw. There's a reason that, uh, uh, Abramovich is involved in these peace t- negotiations right now and it's because he's been involved in this political horrendous thing that's happening in Russia. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I got on that tirade. I apologize.
0: <laughs> no, you're fine. It's, a, it's an international break. We do whatever we want. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so yeah, so that's that's how we, we became fans of Arsenal. <laughs> it's... it They... You know, it, it was it was an easy choice back in the day. I, I think it was they they stood out amongst the crowd. Uh, but I, I, I think to maintain to maintain that love over the years, you, you have to. We've had to endure, and that's <laughs> I think that's the that's the sign that we're true Arsenal fans <laughs> is that we made made it out the other side to see see things kind of recycle a little bit and and hopefully. Uh, we we start to see that climb again back to the heights that that Arsenal were at once upon a time, um, but I I don't I don't need them to be the invincibles. I just need them to compete and yeah. and be in the in the mix again and not have to feel um, not shame. I don't think shame is the right, right word, but um, I, I think it's that that apprehensiveness, that anxiety that comes with being an Arsenal fan, <laughs> that that idea that they're gonna screw it up or you know things are gonna uh fall apart or you're gonna have those random games where they lose to uh teams they shouldn't be losing to i kind of want to get past that and not be the the butt of the joke and 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 kind of be a, a the respectable team that they have been and should be again
1: yeah i mean I, i've never felt like the butt of the joke because i've always held my head high as being a, a Arsenal fan like every once in a while I'm like I get it we're no longer in the Champions League but at least we're doing it the right way or the rightish way for being in the Premier League I don't think there, there's a right way but
0: I guess when I say being the butt of the joke I don't want to pe- have people I, I feel like you know we've got this reputation that doesn't fit the team the reputation should be this is a, a team to be taken seriously and I feel like it just that doesn't that doesn't happen from the the pundits, from the referees, from whoever it may be. Um, you know, I think Arsenal is at least casually not taken seriously by a lot of people who should know better. You know, like have seen have seen the high highs and maybe have forgotten how good this team can be and and what they've earned over the years.
1: Yeah, I mean, they and. I just like to a certain extent I just don't don't care what they because, like I they're wrong. And, you know, like anyone who like starts I, I think there's a lot of pundits, especially in the English media, that have uh, placed Tottenham above Arsenal in the recent years, and I, I just don't see any proof of that. Like I do I I think it's because you have a lot of English players that play for Tottenham or whatever. But yeah. And then I do get what you're saying. I'm just i don't I don't buy it for a lot of uh, the 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 banter as it were,
0: oh, I don't think they're right that's that's they are definitely not right, but I think they've they've earned more than they've gotten yeah um okay I think that that should do it for us this week. I'm always amazed that we were able to to fill the time in these international <laughs> breaks um but I'm looking forward to getting back to Arsenal games. So I'm glad, well, we have to wait a few more days. We got to wait. And th- we have to push through the weekend and get to, get to Monday, yeah. but it, it'll, it'll be all the sweeter when we get there. Uh, so thank you all for listening and joining us once again, review and subscribe wherever you're getting this podcast this week. Uh, if you want to send us some questions or just, uh, uh, follow along as we release new episodes and, etc. Uh, join us on Twitter at London. Our email is westofnorthlondon at gmail.com You can send us a voicemail at anchor.fm westofnorthlondon slash message Our Discord can be joined by clicking the link in the show notes. We'd love to have you chat with us there. And if you'd like our theme song it's from a band called Bobcat. Their website is bobc.at Go check out their album No Course No Course to Follow and uh, find all their other info, information <laughs> over pronouncing <laughs> that word. <laughs> find their info over at that site. That's it for this week. And as always,
1: See you at the next gun show.